Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Again, Freedom House. I feel like I just saw y'all somewhere, but hey, well, as David said earlier, we have something really special for you today, a real treat. And I want to welcome those um, that are joining us online. As we like to remind you guys, this room is much bigger than these four walls. We have people joining us all around the world. And right now, we have folks joining us in North Carolina, Florida, New Jersey, New York, Georgia, Montana. Tennessee, Ohio, Virginia, Colorado, South Carolina, and Utah. You guys give it up for them. We're so glad you're with us today. You are in for a real treat. As many of you have heard, if you're new here, we have a teaching team. That's how our church operates. We have a live communicator bringing God's word each and every Sunday at all of our campuses. Um, And this man preached his first message on one of our platforms, full messages, last week at our South End campus and just blew it out of the water. People were just raving about his message, what he had to say so much that Pastor Penny said, you know what, I want him at Central this week because we need to hear this message at Central Campus. And so I just wanna say, man, this is somebody, his passion for God, it's not somebody who just burns bright and burns out. What I love about him is his passion for God has sustained him. He has a passion, a commitment to our kids, and my kids just love him, adore him. He is so incredible, does so much ministry around here. I want you guys to stand on your feet. Welcome the one and only Michael Watt. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus today. I can't hear you in this place. Let's give it up for Jesus. Come on, come on somebody. Let's give him the praise that he deserves, hallelujah. Amen, you may be seated. Thank you so very much, uh, Pastor Olin, for that very kind and that very warm welcome, thank you. This is a tiny pulpit top. Wow, I've got all this stuff here I gotta deal with. No, hey, it is so good to be here with everyone. And again, um, could we just give it up for our campus pastors? Pastor Stephanie, Pastor Aaron Blanton, doing a fabulous job. And we also want to give it up for our senior pastors, Pastor Troy and Penny Maxwell. Thank you. Let's give it up to them. Oh, come on. You can do better. Yeah. 
You see, there's something about their leadership that, I, that means a lot to me that I want to point out to you. And the, this is the fact about them. You see, they're secure in their leadership. And it's something that you really should appreciate because it's not true in every ministry. They're so secure, in fact, not only can you find your purpose here in this church, you can actually fulfill your purpose. I mean, there is a pipeline for leadership here that'll take you from the first day that you serve on the Dream Team, clear up to being a, 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 a campus pastor, if that's what God's calling you to do, amen? And it's because they're not interested about building a name for themselves. You know what they're really interested in? They're really interested in building the kingdom of God. Amen. And so I appreciate that about them so very, very, very much. Just a little bit about me in case we've not met. Originally born in eastern Pennsylvania, and it was 1985 that God called me to children's ministry. I spent the first 12 years out in Tulsa, thought I'd never leave. Then God changed my heart call and called us to North Carolina, where I came with several other families to build another children's ministry that took children to the mission field, children's camps, children's crusades, children's worship weekends, and as well as working at the local church up there for another 10 years up in North Wilkesboro before God called us down into here to Charlotte. Actually came to help plant a church that actually didn't happen. But you know what? God had other plans. Amen. And so that's when I found Freedom House in 2013. Got involved about a year later, serving in our arrows, our first through fourth grade elementary class. And I've been serving there ever since. Amen. Love it. Absolutely love it. So a true story about myself takes me all the way back to high school played soccer in high school. I was our goalkeeper. And what I lacked in height, I made up for quickness and good hands. And so I was in a game where a ball came across the field. I knew I had to come up with a ball. I jumped up for it to get control. And as I jumped up, a striker coming the other way took his, a, you know, a quick little kick trying to get the ball and took my feet out from underneath me. I flipped backwards. My head hit the ground. Bam. And it was just like what you see on TV. The lights came out from the sides. The darkness came in and went just like that. Well, I don't know how long it was, but I'm, I'm sitting on the bench before the, the, the brain fog is beginning to clear and things are beginning to register. And then I realize I'm, I'm holding a, a three-by-five card. And I'm like, guys, why am I holding a three-by-five card? And they just look at me. I remember like, just, they're just hanging their heads and they're just laughing. Finally, one of the guys says, just read it. Okay. So my eyes focus and I look at it. And I noticed there's three lines. Yes, the first line says this. Your name is Michael Ott. True story. Second line. It's Palisades versus Salisbury. My high school was Palisades. And the third line. Everything between you and your girlfriend is all right. No joke. This was true on a card. I wish I would have kept it. But, you know, I, I can't imagine what it was like. I was sitting there on the bench going to, hey, coach, what's my name? Hey, does anything, do I even have a girlfriend? What team is this, by the way? I must have annoyed them so much. They said, we got to take care of this. This is a problem. Write these answers down on this card and give it to them and have them read it. And so from that day to this very day today, I have always identified as Michael Ott. That's, that's who I am. I don't know if it's been anything different, but that's who I know that I am as far as that. That is my identity, which takes us into this important series that we've been in all in the month of May titled Identity. And hasn't it been a very good series? 
I'm telling you, when you think about the timing of this series and everything that's happening in our culture, wow, how important is this? We've got to have this, and we've got to have this down in order for us to do what God has called us to do, right? And so it's all about discovering who we are and why we are here, amen? So today I'm gonna put a little different twist on it for you, though. Today I'm gonna convince everyone in this room you are called to children's ministry as they suck the air out of the room, yes. And they say, not me, man. Kids drive me up the wall. Don't worry about it. We're gonna take care of that. We're gonna help you today. So whether you have children, whether you're planning to start your own family, or you're just around friends that have kids, I promise you, you're gonna get something out of this message here today that's gonna help you. It's gonna help you when you're around some kids. So if you need a title for today's message, here's the title. It's Nurturing Our Children's Identity in Christ. So we're going to begin with our foundation scripture found in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, which says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God beforehand, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, in those first 12 words, I learned three things. I have a creator. I have an identity that is in Jesus, and I have purpose. All the questions that we need answered in life are found right here. But I also want to focus on this word workmanship because it's very interesting. You see, workmanship speaks to the art and the skill of a master craftsman. And if you look up the definition in, in Webster's Dictionary, listen to what it defines workmanship. It's the quality that is imparted to a thing in the process of its making. You see, folks, you and I have this quality that has been imparted to us in the process of our making. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 1, the first six days of creation. You see, those first six days, God spoke, let there be light, let there be seas, let there be dry ground, let there be seas, let there be plants, let there be things that creep upon the earth, right? For six days, he speaks everything into existence. But on the end of the sixth day, he stops speaking, and he does something totally different. He reaches down into the clay, and he forms a man and breathes. And see, God imparted into that clay breath, the breath of life. And it's the quality of that breath that created a living soul. Here's what I want you to get. It's the quality of God imparted to mankind that gives us incredible value. Incredible value. Every single one of us have this incredible value that has been imparted to us. And since our value comes from our creator, we cannot forget this important fact. Our value does not come from what we do, nor can we lose value from what has been done. Let me say it again. Our value, it does not come from what we do, nor can we lose value from what has been done. Let me give you an example. I brought with me today a $50 bill. You don't think I was gonna do this without an object lesson. I mean, I've gotta have an object lesson, right? You see, take a look at this $50 bill. Its value was assigned to it the day it was born. The day it was imparted, rolls and sheets of papers going through the printing press until the ink was applied. Boom, five, zero, zero, and it was $50 just like that. In other words, its value was imparted to it in the process of its making. 
It did nothing to get its value. But what if I do this? Take that. And take that too. And you know what? I don't even like you. In fact, you're a loser. I wish you had never been born. <laughs> Who said that? What's wrong with you? Don't you see? Don't you see how broken this thing is? Don't you see the hurt, the pain, the broken? Surely this is not worth $50 anymore. Maybe $39.99, maybe? Come on, folks, somebody. I mean, did you see what happened to this? Is it still worth $50? What? I don't hear it. I said, is this still worth $50? Do you have your glasses on? Do you see what happened? The abuse that it took. The years of being put down and spoken down to. You know what? You're right. This $50 bill has not lost one cent of its value. I can take this to the store today. Go shopping and they'll never bat an eyelash at it. But here's the thing. How come we can understand that about a $50 bill? but we can't understand it about ourselves when we struggle with our own value. I'm not dismissing the pain. I'm not dis dismissing the hurt and the things you may have experienced because it is real. I understand it is real. But you know what? Equally and more importantly real is what God has done. You see, we need to remember this, that it's not what happened to you. It doesn't change your value. Why? Because God has defined your value, not your circumstances. God has defined it. You are a priceless masterpiece. In fact, on the count of three, I want you nice and loud to shout, I am a priceless masterpiece. Are you ready? One, two, three. I am a priceless masterpiece. Yes, this is your identity. This is who God created you to be. Now listen, when we're talking about nurturing our children's identity in Christ, it's critical that we not only get it right, but that we do it early. You see, God has ordained two institutions for the spiritual training of our children. First is the home, which bears the, the greatest responsibility. And second is the church. Now, here at Freedom House, I want you to understand what happens in our children's ministry. Because you know what? We're not playing games when it comes to your children. Well, on the other hand, we do play games. But you know what I mean. We take very seriously what we do and how we minister to your children. We do not give them second rate, second best. We give them the very best that we can give them. You see, here at Freedom House, we place a high value on ministry to children for this one and single reason, because God does. Amen. So in Mark chapter 10, the disciples are with Jesus as he does. He goes into a region. He begins teaching on the kingdom of God and explaining to the people what God's kingdom is like. And he begins praying and healing for people and blessing them. And word gets out so that the moms and dad, the parents start bringing their children that Jesus might lay his hands on them that they might be blessed. 
And when the disciples see it, they're not, oh, no, not that. It might quench the anointing on the master. We can't allow that. They've got snotty noses and dirty diapers. We got to get them out of here. And so they rebuke the parents. And they say, no, 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 you cannot bother the master with your children. In verse 14, Jesus sees it. And it says this, he was greatly displeased. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Man, in the next verse, for whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. You see, Jesus was saying to the disciples, you're turning away the very thing you need to understand. You see, children have this simple, what we call childlike faith, the simple ability to trust and to believe. Can I say something about that? Not only is it required to enter into the kingdom, it's required to function in the kingdom. Did you hear what I said? It's required to function in the kingdom. Listen, if you wait to understand God before you obey God, you will miss God. And sometimes we just need to say, yes, Lord, and obey. And guess what? Understanding will come later. You see what we do in FH Kids? We take very seriously. I want you to understand something. We are not a babysitting service. From the babies clearing up, your kids are being prayed over, spoken over, sung over. You know what? I don't do what I do waiting for my big break someday so that I can do some real ministry. I got news for you. I've been doing it for 32 years. In our classrooms, we worship, we pray, we take offerings, we talk a difference between a tithe and generosity. We minister the word of God, we lay hands on our boys and girls and impart the word of God to them. You see, here in the adult service, you have what I call steak and potatoes. You have rich teaching that comes from Pastor Troy and, and Pastor Penny and Pastor Oling, and it's so good. I'm always like taking notes and my thumbs are getting sore trying to keep up, right? It's so good. But you know what? I do the same thing with the kids. You know what I give them? A cheeseburger and fries. You know what that is, right? It's the same food, beef, potatoes, but it's just in smaller portions in a different presentation. Why? So that they can consume it, so they can swallow it, so they can eat it, right? You see, we call our kids the now generation, meaning that they're not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today because tomorrow never comes. We will never tell a child, you can't, because that says to them, God, to God, that I'm not valuable to God. No, they have a plan. You know what? You, our kids, they can love God like you do. They can hear God. They can pray. They can, they can worship him. They can learn the word of God just like you do. Because the same Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you and me also dwells in our kids. There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. They can follow after God just like you do. Let me give you an example of what the now generation is capable of. You see, you do here in the adult service a couple times a year what's called the five on five. Five adults give a five-minute message. I've been privileged to be a part of that. But you know what? We do the same thing in arrows. You see, we do what's called an arrows 10 on one. 10 kids, one-minute message. Now, this is not something we spring on them a couple weeks and say, hey, get ready to testify. It actually takes a month to prepare. They get an invitation. 
They have to pray over it. They have to have a scripture that supports what they want to share. Then it has to be written down. Then it has to go through a couple phone calls. Let's talk about it. It's got to be within a minute. Oh, we got to add some more. We got to take some off, okay? Let's do this thought. Let's do that thought. Then they've got to come to a rehearsal. Then they've got to learn how to hold a microphone, look into the eyes that they're speaking to, and as they minister the word of God. Man, it's just raising them up how to speak God's word. Well, get a load of this. I want to share a one-minute message from a nine-year-old boy that back in March when we had our last one, uh, from a nine-year-old boy by the name of Elijah. You know, it's just a kid. Listen to this. Today, I wanted to share what the Bible says about the power of our thoughts. You see, in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, as someone thinks within himself, so is he. To me, this verse says our thoughts are powerful and they influence the way we see ourselves. Once during my soccer game, I missed a goal and I I felt discouraged. I started to think I was a terrible player. But then I realized my thinking was off. And I was capable of scoring a goal. When I changed my thinking, I started playing better. And I ended up scoring a goal. I learned that our thoughts aren't always correct and that we have the power to change our thinking with God's help. Whoa. What wisdom from a nine-year-old boy. I mean, don't tell me kids can't hear God, that they can't receive revelation. And on top of that, it's happening in a soccer game. While he's playing in this conversation and realizations going on inside of him. Not only is it great wisdom from a nine-year-old, it's also great parenting as well. Kudos to mom and dad. Keep up the great work. Hallelujah. So I want to I jump over to Mark chapter 4, where Jesus gives the parable of all parables called the parable of the sower. And in this parable, I'm just going to paraphrase it. Jesus gives this parable to the people, how the, a sower goes and he sows seed. And as he sows the seed, it falls on different types of ground. Some bearing fruit, most of them not. And so the disciples are scratching their head trying to figure out what he's getting at. So Jesus, in the other verses, pulls them aside and begins to explain to the disciples what everything means. He says, the seed is the word of God. And the four different, the four different grounds, wayside, stony, thorny, and good, those grounds represent the heart of man. In fact, he goes on to say that the wayside, that hard ground, that hard heart, is the ground of of indifference. It has no desire to understand the word. I don't need that. And the enemy comes and steals it, therefore making it bearing no fruit. The stony, because it comes up quickly, but because the ground is shallow and it has no root, therefore it, it doesn't have maturity, so that when persecution comes as a result of the word, it it withers, it dies, again, bearing no fruit. For the thorny ground, that's the soil that is polluted with the cares and the deceit of riches, and it chokes out the word, so again, it can bear no fruit. But then there is the good ground, where that seed is able to produce fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 times. So I have a question for everyone in class today. Here's the question, all right? Out of the four grounds, wayside, stony, thorny, and good, which of these grounds best represent children? I'm sorry, class? Very good. Give yourself on the back. Very good. Give yourself a little star there. You did great. Right answer. Hey, but of these four grounds, wayside, stony, thorny, and good, which of these grounds best represents adults? Take your pick, folks. Take your pick. But here's what we've got to understand about good ground. 
good ground does not stay good ground forever, does it? Because left to itself, eventually the weeds will grow. The ground will become hard. And this is why it's important that we need to reach our children, nurture our children's identity in Christ early, because it becomes increasingly more difficult the older that they get. And that's why you hear us say, it's better to prepare than it is to repair. What is that talking about? It's talking about the difference between ministry to children and ministry to adults. You see, it's much easier to prepare a life to serve Christ than it is to repair an old broken life to try to get them to do the same thing, right? This is what it means. You see, if we spend more time preparing lives, guess what? We wouldn't have to spend so much time repairing broken lives. Imagine what could happen in one generation if we put that kind of effort into our children. Now, I want to give you some statistics that support that. George Barna, the founder of the Barna Group, which is a marketing research firm that specializes in the study of the religious beliefs and the behavior of the American family. Um, He wrote a book several years ago titled Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. And see, at that time, his view of children was pretty much the same as other adult leaders. And that is, well, you know, kids, we have to kind of just take care of them until someday they're worth some value to the church. You see, real ministry is in the adults because I can invest money in them. I can teach them something and I can have them take a piece of the ministry and multiply it. But, you know, with kids, I can't do that, you know. And so they're on their way to significance, but they're not really not really worthy of the best resources yet. Hmm. And so what happens is he did this study and he realized I have it all upside down. I have it all backwards. After he took his polls, after he did his studies and crunched all the numbers, okay? By the way, this is extremely professional. This is not just a random thing. The guy's very good at this. I want to read a quote from his book. He said, we discovered that the probability of someone embracing Jesus as his or her savior is 32% between the ages of 5 through 12. It's 4% between the ages of 13 to 18. That's 28-point drop. And then slightly up 6%, 19 through old age. Next quote. In other words... If people do not embrace Jesus as their savior before they reach their teenage years, the chance of their doing so is slim. Now, things are impossible for man, but they're not impossible for God. But just in these basic general statistics, that doesn't look too good. Let me ask you a question. So when do you think is the best time we should be reaching our children? When do you think is the best time we should be instilling into them and nurturing Christ's identity in their lives? Don't the numbers speak for themselves? Look, I want to say something to the people in the room here today. If you feel inadequate when it comes to ministering to children, in other words, um, you feel like you don't have the knowledge and the understanding to spiritually train your children, I give you an invitation. I invite you to join us in FH Kids. I'm actually very serious about that. You know why? Because when God called me, I knew nothing about children's ministry. Zero, nada, nothing. But I learned that when I got around other people who did, I began to learn. I learned how to capture the heart of a child, how to keep their attention, how to, how to pull them in and lead them in so that they can make their own decision for Jesus. And then how to keep them and how to fill them with God's word. 
You see, here's what I learned. When, when I began in my, my early 20s and was overwhelmed with how good God was to me and for me, I said, God, how can I make the greatest impact for your kingdom? And it became obvious, ministry to children. You know why? Because if I want to make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God, I can't think of a better place than to invest the word of God and to sow it into the good soil of a heart of a child. You know why? Because a child's life has their whole life ahead of them. You adults, half your life is over. Think of it in terms of investment. Listen, you guys, how many of you looked at something you wanted to invest in? You said, ah, nah, and then you look at it six months later and go, oh, man, I wish I would have done that. That's what happens when you, when you invest in kids. Their whole life is in front of them. That investment, that impact that you're making on generations is going to multiply exponentially. Get involved. Get involved in the children's ministry. Make an investment. You want to make the greatest impact, I'm telling you, ministering to children is where it is at. Now I want to spend the rest of the time talking about, about the home. You see, God designed the home, as I said earlier, as the primary source of spiritual training. If you're expecting the church, the professionals, to do this for you, you will be sorely disappointed because of one word, T-I-M-E. Do you happen to know what the average amount of time that a child spends in church for a year? 40 hours. I've only got 40 hours with your child in an entire year. But that same child has an average of 3,000 hours with a parent. Where's the greater influence going to come from? 3,000 or 40? It's going to be the 3,000 hours, man. It's a shoe in mom and dad. You have the greatest influence over the life of your children, and that's why God has called you to do it. But listen, even though the home is the primary source of spiritual training, and the church is secondary, but if you put them together, we got a great team, don't we? A great team. So I want to give you three things to help you nurture your child's identity in Christ. Number one, Model it. Say model it. You see, we want to model our identity in Christ. Oh, wait a minute. Didn't you just say children? Yes, I did. In order, to mo in order to model it, in order to instill Christ's identity in children, we've got to start developing Christ's identity in us first. You see, one of the best things you can do for yourself is to invest in yourself spiritually. Don't leave it on the back burner. Take care of yourself, mom. Take care of yourself, dad. Make sure you are investing in your life spiritually because as it comes from the head, it will trickle down to the rest of the family. You see, you can teach what you heard in a sermon. Hey, I heard a great sermon today. Man, you should, live, you should do what Mr. Michael says. Okay, uh, that might sound good. You can share what you read in a book, but you know what the truth is? You're only going to reproduce who you are. When it boils down to it, that's who you are. Why? Because your actions speak louder than your words. You tell your child one thing, but you go and you do another. And they look up to you and they go, I heard you say this, but you're doing that. That must be more important. This is why you need to understand it. Because you see, 
A child's primary way of learning is through imitation. They don't understand you, two, three, or fours, like that. They don't reason in their mind, okay? They're just following you. They're following your lead. They're mimicking you. God has wired our children that way to imitate to imi- in fact, Paul said it to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, you know, to imitate Christ, right? To imitate him. And so this is what we want to do with our kids. Listen, Proverbs 20, verse 7 says this, the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. In other words, children are blessed because they imitate their parents' godliness. They're imitating you. This is why it's so, so critically important. In other words, if our kids see us putting God first, they see us taking our concerns to him. They see us, they catch us reading our Bible. They see us on a Sunday morning being excited to go to church and coming to church with some passion, saying, I love you, Jesus. Guess what your kids are going to do? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. That's what you want. That's exactly what you want with your kids. Number one was model it. Number two is build it. You see, we want to affirm and validate our children. We want to build our children's identity in Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is water baptized in the river Jordan. He comes up out of the water. The father speaks and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In the next chapter, verse, in chapter 4, he's led by the spirit out into the wilderness where Satan comes to tempt him. And in the first seven words, Satan says, if you are the son of God, then turn these stones to bread. What was he doing in that moment? Satan, the first thing he did was he attacked Jesus' identity. He attacked it. He challenged it. If you are the son of God. But if you remember prior to that, the father affirmed it. This is my beloved son. Listen, folks. If God the father thought it important to validate and affirm his son, How much more should you and I be affirming and validating our children? In other words, when you see them do something Christ-like, say something. Hey, man, I'm proud of you. That's great. That's awesome. And do it both privately and once in a while, do it publicly like God did. Because I'll tell you what, there's not a greater motor motivator than praise. And a behavior that is rewarded will be a behavior that is repeated. This is what God is going to do in your children. Listen. It goes without saying, we should teach our children the word of God, right? I mean, you can go online right now, and you can pull up the ABCs in who I am in Christ. It's really cool. Imagine getting this into your kids. A, I am accepted, Ephesians 1, 6. He made us accepted in the beloved. B, I am blessed, Ephesians 1, 3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. C, I am chosen, Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Clear on down to Z. What do you think that does for the identity of a child with their identity in Christ? Faith comes by hearing and 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 by hearing the word of God. Not that is thought, but is spoken out loud that comes into your ears, that builds that spirit man and makes him strong. Our kids need to hear the word of God be spoken over them and come out of their own mouths. We need to teach our children that they are secure in their identity in Christ. How do we know that? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says it this way. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
You see, God does not change. He's not a man that he should lie. His promises are yes and amen. Son, daughter, you put your trust in Jesus. You are secure. It will never be one thing one day and something the other day. You can be confident God's got your back because he does not, does not change. Look, folks, we need to take advantage of using every bit of our influence while our children are in our care. Because if you don't, I promise you, someone else will. Well, what do you mean? Well, let me ask you a question, and you can answer. Does Hollywood wait to influence your child? Does the music industry wait to influence your child? Do advertisers wait to influence your child? Does social media wait to influence your child? Does the public school system wait to influence your child? Do sex traffickers and child abusers, do they wait to influence your child? Does the LGTB community, do they wait to influence your child? Listen, folks, culture does not wait. So why in the world do we? Come on. You see, our voice has got to be the loudest, both and the longest in their heads and in their hearts, because if it's not, we put our children at risk. Remember that window, eight years, five to 12? This is where we need to be pouring it in like crazy into their lives and reaffirming and building it in their lives. You know why? Because there's an enemy that knows the very same statistics. He also knows how important it is. And that's why, number three, we want to do this. We want to protect it. You see, our children's identity in Christ, we want to protect it. In other words, we do not want to allow it to be polluted or diluted. As Pastor Olin said earlier in the service, John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. There is a very real enemy out there and he is coming for our children. But I've got good news for you. The enemy is defeated. Jesus defeated him on the cross 2,000 years ago. And we just simply need with the word of God and with the word of faith in our mouth, we need to tell him, put him in his place. We need to enforce that authority that God has given us in Jesus' name and put him underneath our feet. But I want to take a moment when we're talking about protecting it to speak to our fathers here today. You see, way back in the garden from the very beginning, it was God who gave Adam the commission to be the gatekeeper of the garden, to protect it, to take care of it, to guide, to govern it, right? And that has been passed on to every single one of us men that's in the house. God has called us to be that spiritual head. And I just want to encourage and challenge our dads today. To, to step up your game as the spiritual head in your house. You might say, well, I'm just, I'm just new to this. I, I understand. Get around people that can show you the ropes. Get into a life group. Get into the word of God. Build yourself up. There's a grace for you. Others of us, maybe we've just kind of been holding back a little bit. But man, let's come on. Let's step up our game. Our children need us as the spiritual head of our house. Why? Because in Matthew chapter 13, where it talks about the parable of the wheat and the tares, the farmer went and he sowed good seed in his field. But at night, while men slept, the enemy came and sowed bad seed. You see, that ground, that garden, that's your family. And you know what that means? That is a warning to us. That is a warning to us. While men slept, the enemy came and sowed bad seed. You see, we cannot afford, men, to fall asleep on the job. We cannot afford to get distracted 
with other things. We cannot afford to lose sight of our most important calling, and it is our family. It is our children getting the word of God into them. You see, we want to insulate them. We don't want to isolate them. We know isolation, once they come out of that, they go out into a world, they don't know how to take care of themselves, right? But listen, think of it in winter. When winter comes, it's a cold, it's a harsh environment. Do you say to your kids, well, guess what? We're just locked up in the house for the next four months. We can't go outside. Is that what you do? No, you'd go crazy, right? No, you know what you do? You insulate them. Go get a coat. Go get some mittens. Put on some boots. Put on a hat and go outside and play. What does that insulation do? That insulating, it limits exposure. Why? So that you can still function, so that you can be still effective in a harsh environment. Look, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. God has called us to be that light. He has called us to be that salt. And as evil tries to increase, it is the job of the church to stand up and push back evil forces. Why? So that millions upon millions can see the goodness of God and be swept into God's kingdom. This is what it's about. We want to give them the word of God and insulate them with truth. John 8, 32 declares, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Insulate them with the truth. Why? So they don't get isolated by a lie. Come on, come on. In closing, it's very important that we understand this. It's not time to shrink back in fear. It's time for us to press forward in faith. You know, at some point, we have to decide this is really real. And we're not going to go hide in a hole somewhere. God is counting on us to stand on this word, which is firm, which is proven. To get it in our kids. I know there's, there's terrible things that happen out there. But we're going to stand on this. And this is what causes us to overcome. This is what causes our light to shine. This is what causes our kids to stand up and not, and not be deterred by the enemy. Because there's faith built on the word of God inside of their hearts. You see, Romans 8, 837 says this, declares that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, to be a, to be a conqueror just means to be victorious over your enemy. But to be a, a more than a conqueror, it means to be overwhelmingly victorious. This is what God has called us to. This is the life that God has called us to. But through his word has also thoroughly equipped us for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3.17. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask if you would, everybody, I'll just go ahead and close your eyes. Hallelujah. Father, we, we just acknowledge you in this place today. Your word declares that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you are there in the midst. We acknowledge your presence. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. Your word says it. You're here, Jesus. We honor you. And we also know that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Father, I just thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your acceptance. There's nothing we need to do. You accept us just as we are. But Lord, I want to pray for your people today. I want them to be released and be free from the things that might hold them back. Free from the wounds of the past. Free from the labels that maybe others have placed on you. Free from the lies that have told you that you have no value. 
free from confusion regarding your true identity in Christ. And yes, there's even freedom for you if you're confused about your own gender. You see, where there is confusion, the enemy is there. He is there. But I can promise you today, God will set you free. There will no longer be any confusion. You will immediately know who you are and who God has called you to be. I want to pray for those that need freedom in their life today. Maybe it's something that I said there. Maybe it's something else. You recognize there's something that's kind of holding you back. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. It's not the words of men. It's the Spirit of God. And if you would respond to the Spirit of God today and allow Him to touch your life today, just lift up your hand so that I can pray for you, Father. Hallelujah. Yes, I thank you. Go ahead. Thank you, Father. Yes, I see those hands. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Father God. Lord, you see the hands of your people that are here today. They are responding to you in childlike faith. They're, Lord, they're not trying to figure out. They're just saying, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe your word. And Father, for those that are responding here in this moment today, I declare freedom in Jesus' name. I speak to everything that holds you back, everything that has been trying to bind you and hold you down, and I break it in the name of Jesus. I command that chain to come off. I command that thing to let you go and that you go free. And Father, I thank you for your peace that confirms that you are at work in their life. Hallelujah. And with every head bowed, I want to pray for just one more group of people, and that is this. I want to pray for those that want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, to begin walking in your true identity in Christ. You see, to walk in your identity in Christ, though, you first must become a child of God. Can't happen any other way. As created beings, we truly are God's masterpiece. But when we're born into this world, we're born into what is called being spiritually dead. You see, that means sin has separated us from our Creator. We are unable to have a relationship with him. And it's not until we believe and trust in the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf that we can even begin to learn and walk in our true identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things have become new. Today, you can leave here a brand new person, very brand new and begin to walk in a brand new life that you never even thought you could think or imagine because of the work that Christ is going to do in you. If it's you today and you're saying, yes, I wanna give my heart to Jesus. I wanna understand to walk in my true identity. When I count to three, I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three. Just lift them up to God so God can see that. Yes, I see that hand, thank you. Yes, I see that hand, thank you. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Any more? Go ahead, just slip it up. Thank you. Praise God. Can we all pray this prayer out loud together? Just like I tell the kids, just repeat after me, but just mean it from your own heart. God will accept it as your own. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you so very much that you love me, that you accept me, that you died in my place so my sins could be washed away. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord be my savior. Give me a new identity in you so that I can follow you and serve you all the days of my life. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.